0: the word. All right, we have our kids in with us. Normally, we don't have the kids in with us. It's awesome to have you with here with kids. Kids, what is the title of this new teaching series that we're doing today? What's it called? Kung Fu Seals. This title comes from a commercial for Shark Week. The title for this series comes from a commercial for Shark Week. It was a commercial that was make-believe. So no seals were injured in this commercial. It was all make-believe, kids. You with me so far? All right. So in this commercial, there is this town, this oceanside town. And the town is so excited because they were going to return Snuffy the Seal to the ocean. Something had happened. Snuffy the Seal had got injured or something like that. So the town rallied around Snuffy the Seal. They nursed Snuffy the Seal back to health and now they were releasing snuffy the seal back into the ocean and so the reporter is there with the microphone reporting on the event and the town has all these signs you know go snuffy and all this type of thing and they're gently lowering snuffy the seal into the ocean and has anyone seen the commercial what happens great white shark full breach mode swallows snuffy whole that's where we got this series idea from so if you're a note taker please write this down because this isn't just about a make believe seal there is some real life stuff here snuffy the seal there, snuffy the seals fate serves as a cautionary tale for young people who are shark weak and that's not a typo shark weak so kids here i got a little object lesson for you let's pretend this is snuffy the seal all right let's pretend this is snuffy the seal now, if Snuffy the seal is just a normal seal and Snuffy the seal gets lowered into the ocean and a big old shark comes, what, what's going to happen? Just what happened in the commercial, right? Snuffy's going to get snuffed, and we don't want that. But what if, what if Snuffy knew kung fu? What if Snuffy was a kung fu seal? What could Snuffy do? Can I get ahead? What could Snuffy do when the shark came if Snuffy knew kung fu? What could happen? Come on, kids, bail me out. I'm dying up here. What could happen? What was that? Snuffy could fight back. Very good. Guess what? You can keep Snuffy. Thanks for that often. All right? Because you you had a great idea. You had a great idea. Yes, Snuffy could defend himself. If Snuffy knew Kung Fu, Snuffy could defend himself himself. Now, here's where all of this comes into play if you weren't here last week. If our church is a normal church, if our church is a normal church, you know what's going to happen to half of our young people. If our church is a normal church, half of our young people when they hit college age are going to walk away from God. Not just walk away from the church, they're going to walk away from God and most won't come back. So this this is about what would God have us to do so that that doesn't happen? As much as it depends on us, what can we do in a God-honoring way to help equip our young people? So if you're still not sure about what we're talking about when we say Kung Fu seals, please write down this definition. If you are new, we, we always try to have a notes inserts. So you can write some of this stuff down. Um, and, and I encourage you to write this down. Here's, here's, here's our working definition or idea behind a Kung Fu seal. Kung Fu seals, they're not defenseless when they're confronted by a deceptive teaching or seductive temptation. Parents, you like my code words there? Huh? That was pretty good, I thought, for the kids in the room. All right. The, uh, the de- they're, not conf- they're not defenseless when confronted by a deceptive teaching or seductive temptation. Kung Fu seals seek to influence others instead of conforming to the culture around them. And so what we're going to try to do in this series as best we can with the limited time we have is to equip us as adults to equip our young people. What can we do as adults to help equip our young people so that they aren't defenseless? When they hear something that sounds really good or when they're tempted by something that seems like it would be really good, what can we do to help equip them so they can make better informed decisions so that they can come into adulthood better equipped for all the stuff they're going to face. Now, the text that we're using for this is what's called the book of Philippians. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, Philippians is a real first century letter that was included in what we call the Bible now. It's a letter written by a guy named Paul to real people at a real time. And it's a real first century letter. And this is going to be our text. It was our text last week. It'll be our text this week. It'll be our text next week. So if you have your Bible, please open to the book of Philippians. We'll go right to chapter one here to start out with. And as you're turning there, if you have your Bibles, I want to let you know, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. Each and every week, we keep them at our entrance and exits. Please take one of those Bibles. They're there as a gift for you. All right, so let's, let's look at what the Philippians author has to say. And if ever, this is what we talked about last week. If there was ever a Kung Fu seal, it was Paul. Paul was a Kung Fu seal. So here's this Kung Fu seal master giving us this Holy Spirit-inspired um, advice. So Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6 says this, and now so Paul is talking to these Philippians, and he says, I'm sure of this. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He was confident that they weren't, because he knew they were going to face a lot of tough stuff, a lot of tough stuff. He was confident that that what God had begun in them, God would bring to completion. They weren't just going to get swallowed up by the culture of their day. He was confident. Now, you, what you don't want to do is to take this verse out of context and treat it like a magic prayer. We talked about that least last week. Because Paul doesn't treat it like a magic prayer. Just simply pray this over your kids, do nothing else, and all your dreams will come true. Here, here's what it says, the very next verse. It continues, it is right for me, verse 7, to feel this way about you. And then what's the next word? Because. I have confidence because it isn't i just have confidence because this is a magic formula or something like that i have confidence because and this week and next are all about the because what are the practical god inspired things that we can do to help you know that's what we're looking at the because paul's kung fu seal training had two parts It's more nuanced than this, but we only have so much time. We're going to look at two parts. Both of them can be found in verse 9 of chapter 4. It reads this. This is straight out of Paul's letter. Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and what? Seen in me. What you have seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So he talks about example setting and equipping what you've seen, that's the example setting, and practice the equipping. And everyone knows example setting and equipping go hand in hand. If you want to create a Navy SEAL, if you want to have someone become a Navy SEAL, they have to be inspired, right? Well, how are they inspired? They see an example. They see an example and they become inspired. How do they actually become a Navy SEAL? Somebody trains them. They get equipped. You need both of these things, see and practice. Example setting and equipped. Well, next week, Brandon is going to take on the equipped part. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the example setting part. It is absolutely vital, absolutely vital. In fact, if you don't, you're not going to, it's extremely rare to have a kung fu seal emerge if there weren't examples in their life. So let's talk about example setting. And I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. This is what Paul says chapter 3 verse 17 paul says this he says brothers sisters join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us was modeling a big deal for paul yes was example setting a big deal for paul yes And example setting starts with parents Today's message is not only for parents, not only for parents, but we've got to start there. It starts there. There's, a, there's three books that we recommend in your notes. Um, this is from one of them. It's a book called Sticky Faith. I would encourage you to read it. It's a quick read, real simple, but good stuff. Here's a quote from the book Sticky Faith. Um, they said this, and after all kinds of research is behind this, most teenagers and their parents may not realize it, but a lot of research into the sociology of religion suggests that the most important social influence in shaping young people's lives is the religious life modeled and taught by whom? Their parents. When it comes to kids' faith, parents get what they are. There's a place to write this in your notes, except I modified it just a little bit. When it comes to kids' faith, often, and that word is important, often parents get what they are. I included that word often because it's not as simple as the sociologist put it. There are parents who apparently do everything right, and kids still walk away. There's parents who seem to do everything wrong, and out of the ashes rises a kung fu seal. So it's not as simple as always. It's not a formula, but there isn't often, and I'll, let's, let's look at that a little bit. Um, let's go another quote here uh, from, from Sticky Faith. Who you are, who you are is far more important than anything you say or do. Can I get an Amen. That's just in general, right? Who you are is more. Don't look at people's words. Look at their what? Actions. It's so true, right? Okay. So, who you are is far more important than anything you do or say. If I had to choose between living out my faith or talking about my faith in front of my kids, I would choose the former every time. But I don't have to choose, and neither do you. We can do both. While we know that actions speak louder than words, words still really matter. Students whose parents talk about faith have a more sticky faith. When they're saying sticky faith, what they mean is a faith that lasts, one that doesn't just go away as they get older. So when it comes to example setting, words and actions matter. And here's the research behind this, and you start to see why half of our students are walking away from God. The parents' piece is the most important, and let's look at what the parent piece is happening. Um, Next quote, According to Search Institute's nationwide study, 11,000 teenagers from 561 congregations across six denominations. Look at this. Just one out of eight kids talks with their mom about their faith. One in eight. And it's far lower for dads. Only one out of 20 kids, or 5%, have a regular faith or life conversation with their dad. so if parents are the most important spiritual influence in the life of a young person, and only one in eight moms, only one in 20 dads are having these conversations, is there any wonder that things are the way they are, right? This is a big deal. Okay, so the lives that parents model, it matters, right? We we got that? It matters, okay? And here's something else, though, because this is why I said from the beginning, this isn't just a parents thing. Here's what else research shows, and there's a place to write this in your notes. Do you want to help a young person develop a kung fu faith? And I would hope everyone does. I would hope you have a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, a a neighbor kid, a a kid here growing up in this church. I would hope everybody would want to help, right, with this. You want to help? Find four more people to help you help them. If If you want to really help them, Don't try to do it yourself. Find at least four more people to help you help them. Am I just making this stuff up? No. This is right from the book of Philippians. This is what Paul did. Paul, there's a reason why the scriptures are filled with all these names. Paul puts all kinds of names out there because Paul didn't go solo on this stuff. He had this whole web of people, these relationships all around him. Here's just one example from the letter of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 19. He lists two different people here. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. There was this guy, Timothy. He's like, you got to meet Timothy. I want to send him to you, right? And he also says this other person, I also thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus Rex. Now, the Rex wasn't in the Bible there. It just, that guy's name sounded like a dinosaur to me. (laughs) So I just had to throw in the Rex, you know. So that's totally not in the scriptures, you know, all that. Um, But anyway, so... um, But there's this other guy whose name sounds like a dinosaur. And and he said, this is my brother. This, This is a fellow worker, fellow soldier. And he's your messenger and minister to my need. Now, for the record, here's two guys that are listed. This was not just a guy thing. This was not a guy thing. And Paul calls it out. When he wrote a letter to Timothy, one of the guys he's talking about here, he specifically referenced Timothy's grandmother, and how influential she was, Grandmother Lois, and Timothy's mother Eunice. So is this just a guy thing? No. It's a thing thing, okay? And and so Paul went to great lengths to have this web of men and women, peers, younger, older, and he took this web and he enlisted them all in the work of disciple-making. He enlisted them all in disciple-making. And we'd be wise to follow this example. This wasn't just best practice in the first century. This has always been best practice. Always been best practice. The modern research bears this out. Another quote from Sticky Faith. It said this, We need to reverse the ministry adult-to-kid ratio. Many children's and youth ministries say they want a one-to-five ratio of adults-to-kids, meaning they want one adult for every five kids for their Sunday school class or small groups. Love this. What if we reverse that? What if we said we want a five-to-one adult-to-kid ratio? We want five adults caring for every kid. Now, we're not talking about Sunday school teachers or five small group leaders. We're also not talking about five adults to whom you outsource the spiritual, emotional, social, and intellectual development of your kids. What we're talking about here is five adults who you recruit to invest in your kid, whether it's your own child, whether it's that neighbor kid, whether it's someone here at the church, whether it's your niece, your nephew, a younger friend. you're, You're investing. You're trying to find this web of, let's get five of us to pour into this young life. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You want lots of God-honoring examples and God-honoring voices speaking into the lives of the young people you care about. And they gave a great example. Parents, you're going to relate to this example all too well. They gave this great example um, in the book Sticky Faith. Uh, can we get a picture of this guy? Anyone recognize this man? Who is it? Tony Dungy. And here he's hosting up Super Bowl trophy, right? They won the, well, this might be conference championship. Yeah, that's the conference championship. But they didn't just win the conference championship. They won the whole Super Bowl. So this is a Super Bowl-winning coach, okay? And he has had a son who was playing high school football. So Tony Dungy's got the son playing high f- school football. Does Tony probably know more than his son's coach? Probably. Well, Tony sees his son quickly running out of the house to go to school and then to, to practice. And as he's eating on his way out he, for breakfast, this is what he's grabbing. Kids, what do we got here? What is this? Pop-Tarts. So <laughs> kid is going to have s- football practice after, after school. Kid's going to have football practice after school, and he's grabbing a Pop-Tart for breakfast. So Super Bowl winning coach says, hey, son, you might want to consider a better breakfast than a Pop-Tart. He's like, dad, pff, what do you know? You're a dad. And he goes off, right? Well, this goes on you know, throughout the season, and one day, Tony comes down, Tony Dungy comes down to breakfast, and there's his son. His son had made bacon and eggs, and Tony just couldn't resist himself and said, hey, I see you're, uh, see you're basically taking my advice here and having a big breakfast, and, uh, you know what the kid says? He says, yeah, coach told me to, (laughs) and he wasn't talking about Coach Dungy, right? Parents, any of you can relate to that? You've been saying something for years and years and years, and someone else says it and they're like, Did you know this, mom and dad? <laughs> did you, did you know? Are you kidding me? Right? We we want to have all kinds of great influences speaking into our kids' lives. Because one of them might be able to get through, right? It's so good, it's so good. You can't have enough God-honoring adults speaking into the lives of the young people that you care about. Let's look at one last sticky faith quote together. This, it, this is so important. Sticky social webs don't happen by accident. You need to build those relationships with regular contact. Just as a spider meticulously creates its web, so we must devote significant time and energy to surrounding children with intergenerational relationships. Can I get an amen? I, Laura and I, we, we grabbed uh, lunch on Thursday, and we were uh, kind of talking about some of these things, And boy, are we blessed. We are so blessed. We are thinking about this very thing in our own kids. And I think about how at the start of our church, you know, we had Steve and Natalie, and we had Dell and Becky, and Mark and Penny, and some of you who, right from the beginning, pouring into our kids and helping them to feel welcome and helping them to feel loved and helping them to know they're not some afterthought. It's just been such a blessing. And as they've gone on, I mean, they've had awesome kids' church teachers. They love Deb, and they love Leslie, and they love these awesome women and, and men that were pouring into their lives. And just on Thursday, while Laura and I were having that conversation, our daughter was out with Mary on a trail ride. And she went from trail ride with Mary to the Brady's house. And so this was just awesome. And I was thinking about this summer, and Andrew had a chance to ha- be coached by Cam and Ray, and how awesome that was. And, and Ericson, you're like an uncle and auntie to our kids. And, and the, the Scots, it's so awesome to have them in our lives, and so many of you. And now we got Sarah and Brandon at our church, and they're going to get a chance to be mentored and discipled by them. And we're really going to hit our stride as our teen ministry starts to build. Because one of my best memories as a dad was when I was leading a teen camp, and my girls, we had to bring them along because I was, it was two weeks. We were there for two weeks, you know, so I didn't want to miss my family for two weeks. So we, we brought them along, and, and we'd have them come into sessions once in a while. And I remember watching these guys in their jammies at our campfire, and some of you might have even been there, and at our campfire, and there are these skits going on in front. And these guys are sitting there, and the coolest people in the world are these Christians who are up there doing these skits. And those coolest people in the world were treating these guys like they were the coolest kids in the world. And what a powerful impact that made, and I can't wait until there's even more of that happening here. And we're starting to see it. It's starting to come full circle. We've got uh, friends, the, the Nelsons here at the church, and our girls are starting to be mentors to their kids by spending time and setting example for them. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and God blesses it. Let me give you some statistical stuff from my own life. Here are some pictures that some of you are going to recognize, and some of you are actually in some of these pictures. You won't be able to see because there are dots on a screen here, but you can go back to computer afterwards and take a look. These are confirmation pictures. This is a confirmation class of ninth graders from a church I used to work at. So there's one, and once you flip through, here's a couple of them. Every year, about 100 of our teens would confirm their faith on what we called Confirmation Sunday, about 100 of them. But at this same church, when we arrived there, there was about 10 or fewer seniors. Anybody see something wrong with that? You got 100 freshmen. You got fewer than 10 seniors. So as soon as we were able, there was a team of us. Joyce was a part of that team. There was a team of us who said, one of the things we've got to do here, we've got to change the way we're doing things. And so, one of the biggest changes we made was we added small groups all the way up. We made sure that every one of our high schoolers had a caring adult or two that was pouring into their lives. And the other thing we did is we changed large group, where instead of large group being a hired gun they brought in from the outside, we said, it's going to be in-house, Most of our large groups are going to be in-house. It's going to be people that know these students and care about these students. Now, there was pushback from the high schoolers. And there was pushback because the outside hired guns they brought in were great. It was blue-chip stuff. And the bands that they would bring in, they were great. It was blue-chip stuff. So the high schoolers had this really great program, but the reality was the program wasn't working. And I remember the pushback. I'm like, you're going to have to trust us on this. You're going to have to trust us on this. Well, here are some actual stats from a 2005 retreat we did called Kung Fu Wales. Totally different. Totally different, right? Here's some actual stats. Same church. That year, 2005, after just a few years of making those changes, we had about 340 high schoolers, 9th through 12th, registered for Wednesday nights. 70 of them were seniors. Praise God. Does having caring adults in people's life matter. Yes. Because that's all we really changed. The quality of our large groups didn't go up, but we had people in leading those large groups who knew and cared about those students. And the other change we made is we added small groups on Wednesday nights. That was it. Made a huge difference. Huge difference. This works. Relationships with caring adults matters. Relationships with caring adults makes a measurable difference. And this is the last thing I'd encourage you to write down in your notes. Authentic Christianity has always been incarnational. Christian Christianity from the beginning has always been incarnational. And what was interesting about this, when I typed out the word incarnational, you know what my computer said? Computer said, that's not a word. My computer... Gave me the red line underneath it. They said, That's not a word. Incarnational is not a word. Is it a word? It's a word. It was the word made flesh. Incarnational is a word. Incarnational describes the most important event in history when the second person of the Holy Trinity came and dwelt among us as Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus once told a story about a really, really good father. And even though this dad was as awesome as they come, it wasn't enough to keep his son from walking down the wrong path. And there's a story, you may call it, the, it might show up in your Bible as the lost son or the prodigal son, but there's a story that Jesus told where this great dad did everything he could, but son walked away from what he had seen modeled, what he had seen taught. And if you understand the context of the story, because we've taught on that before in more depth, you realize when the son had that encounter with dad, He insulted his father. He basically said, Dad, I wish you were dead and all the money that you have was mine. He insulted his father. And and he dishonored himself. He dishonored the family's name. He blew his entire inheritance. And he engaged in behaviors that we can't talk about because the kids are with us in this room. Now, remember how I said earlier, it's not as simple as do everything right and your kids will turn out great. Do everything wrong, and they won't. Remember how I told you it's not that simple? It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Kids don't always turn out like their parents. We're just one variable variable in a very fallen world where there's free will. Well, free being qualified, right? Sometimes a parent can do almost everything right, and students will still choose a wrong path. Jesus himself testifies to that. Well, in Jesus' story, there came a day where that son realized that the path he was on wasn't taking him where he wanted to go. And after some sincere soul searching, he decided to humble himself and ask for forgiveness and return home to his father. And what did the father do when the son came home? ran to him and just hugged him the father humbled himself absorbed the price of this costly love and just ran to him ran to him and welcomed him home and jesus specifically told that story to say this is how your heavenly father welcomes you home when you sincerely return to him with humility and ask for forgiveness. And how many of us need that? How many of you have ever walked far away from God, big or small ways? All right. And the rules of you don't have your hands right now, you just did because you lied right there. All right. We all do, right? We all do. We all make mistakes. We all wander away from God, big, small ways. We, we, we disobey. We don't stop to think. We dishonor the name. We all do. Their only exception to that is who? The storyteller. The only exception in history is the one telling the story. And what did he do? He was perfectly obedient. And what did he do? He took that obedience all the way. He was obedient even to death on a cross for our sins. He didn't commit any sins. So put all that together, and you see there's something really powerful going on here. Much more powerful than a formula. Formulas aren't guaranteed. Formulas aren't guaranteed. What we have here is more powerful than a formula. It's not as simple as just get five good people, pour into your kid, and they're going to be the next Sarah. They're going to be the next Brandon. It is not that simple. But the gospel, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. And imagine the power that's unleashed when a young person is surrounded by at least five adults who are the recipients of amazing grace. Five humble, broken people who have freely, freely received. If we understand the gospel and we have freely, freely received, what can we do when that person comes home? We can freely, freely give grace because we get it. And we can love as the Father loved, incarnational. And we can be broken like Christ was and humble like Christ was because His Spirit is at work in us. This makes a difference. Imagine if every young person was surrounded by five people like that so that not if but when they made a mistake. The Father's love was there in grace and truth. Wow. Well, this is something that we all need. We all need to be welcome home like that, right? So let's have a little welcome home party. Um, you, some people call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist. Some call it gathering around the Lord's table. It's something that we do here at least once a month that we're starting to talk about we need to do more than once a month, I think. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. That was a good amen.